Welcome to the Marcus Oldham College Ag Talk podcast. This series of podcasts focuses on the business management of Australian farms. G'day, my name is David Cornish. I am the director for the Centre for the Study of Agribusiness at Marcus Oldham College, an independent tertiary institution that has been producing the next generation of Australian farm managers for over 50 years. The focus of the podcast is to look at the question of what makes a farmer successful. Is it just luck or do good farmers make their own luck through hard work and utilising good business decision-making processes? I hope you enjoy the discussion. It was, I think, 2007, when on a typically cold Ballarat day, I had the pleasure of sitting down with John Gladigo for a coffee and a chat about corporate investing in agriculture. John was in the process of completing his Nuffield Scholarship, looking into the concept of collaborative farming. It wasn't long till John and his good mate, Robin Schaefer from South Australia and Northern Mallee put the theory into practice, forming a single farming business called Bullaburra. The farming operation today comprises 11,000 hectares. The two families lease their properties to the farming company as well as lease another 6,000 hectares owned by others. In today's podcast, I'm hoping to understand the decision-making process that took John from managing a more traditionally structured family farming operation to now running what is considered by many as the benchmark on collaborative farming operations in Australia. What can the rest of the farming community learn that may assist them when looking at the future of their farming operations? Welcome, John. Thanks, David. Great to chat. How's it going? Oh, well, it's, uh, we're pretty happy this year. It's, uh, it's nice to have what we would call a, a normalish year after three absolute shockers. Um, so I'm actually looking out the window at, uh, at green crops on a sunny day after quite a good August. Fantastic. Makes a pleasant change, mate. It, it certainly does. It certainly does. <laughs> okay, let's, let's go back to that, that, that Nuffield Scholarship. Why'd you do it? Well, you know, it's actually because uh, I was really frustrated because I couldn't get information that I was looking for. And, and uh, you know, I, I guess I came from a small family, a small average size family farm. We had a couple of thousand hectares and... We were cropping you know, a thousand hectares and had a 1200 sheep and a piggery and a, a, you know we were just a just a fairly normal small family farm and and uh, you know through the, the the 90s and 2000s and, and everyone's uh, uh, sort of doing the whole get big or get out and and uh, you know margins are getting tighter cost of production is getting higher and higher and our, our markets are seem to be getting squeezed and and so all the talks around efficiency. Uh, and creating economies of scale, probably that's on, on, on one, one side of it. On, on the other, you know, we're in a very fragile environment where we are uh, in, in marginal cropping country. And, and so, uh, you know, we'd been through the 2002 drought where we grew nothing and our country just got blown to bits. And, and uh, it was around that time that I kind of made the, the, the call that, uh, um, you know, I, I wasn't going to allow that to happen again to our farm. And, and so the, the obvious answer was to move down the road of no-till and more conservation type farming and with more sustainable practices. But that's not a, an inexpensive hobby to get into. You know, like uh, anyone can go and farm with a 28-row combine and a 100-horsepower tractor. But, uh, you know, if you're going to go into, into, into no-till or into some of these practices, A, you've got to be a bit more educated but, uh, in what you're doing. But, uh, you know, you, the, the technology and the machinery is, was, was really expensive. And... And, you know, as a small farming operation, you just didn't have the capacity to do that. And so I started saying, well, if we're going to do this, how do I create the efficiencies? How do I create the economies of scale? And, and the obvious way was, seemed to me, is, you know, we're just so overcapitalised in machinery. So that was sort of the starting, the starting thing for me is, 
So if we if, if that's our biggest cost or one of our biggest costs within the business, how do we how do we mitigate that? And 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 uh, you know, so how do we make better use of our of the uh, machinery and the infrastructure and even the labour that we have with, within our businesses? And and to me, the, the one of the obvious ways was to, to share with each other, as in for for farmers to actually work together to to. Uh, you know, to, to, to utilise those expensive assets. And uh, I mean, for me, that just seemed a pretty natural thing to do. But then I, probably what I discovered is that no one was really doing it. Why do you think that was, John? Because I, I know exactly what you mean. And I want to take that, there's a really important point you made about, okay, getting into mill, mill till, zero till, whatever it is, you, you had to gear up. Can I put yep. it that way? Absolutely. Okay, there's a cost in that, a significant cost. To actually take advantage of the productivity, though, you need to make certain, or the productivity improvements that came with that, you had to make certain that your cost of machinery was efficiently spread over enough number of hectares. Would that be a fair call? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and uh, you know, the, the thing is, is that, you know, some of this technology, is, it's like a, it's very much like a, uh, doesn't matter how big you are, the, the cost is still the same. I and mean, if you... You know, if you're going to buy an activation for, you know, for GPS, GPS auto steer for as one, it doesn't matter if you've got 10,000 hectares or 100 hectares, you know, it, it still costs the same. Um, you know, access a lot of this technology is, is, is like a one-off, you know, like a, 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 a single cost. So, uh, yeah, look, it, it certainly was, was something that, that uh, knowing that this is where you had to go, but not knowing what the process was to get there, uh, and not being able to work out why people didn't actually work together. So it was interesting because, again, often often the, I, I'd get up in front of farmers when I was working for the bank or consulting and say, you know, why don't we work together? And, and you could see them looking at each other and going, me working with you? You've got to be kidding. Yeah, a, a, absolutely. And and, uh, and I think that's still the reaction today, you know, to be, to be yeah. quite honest. I mean, you know, as farmers, we're real, we're quite a rare breed in a way, you know, we've, We've had a lifetime of working on our own and, and, and having that, that, you know, that complete independence, I suppose. And you can get out of bed and uh, jump out of bed in the morning and, and decide, well, what is it that I'm going to do? And, and uh, the, the idea of, of being accountable to someone else is just so foreign to us. And, and, and uh, you know, it's not something that, that most people have any desire to do at all. But also, I think, you know, if you're going to go into a collaborative type of arrangement, there's some expectations as well around, um, you know, I guess being much more professional and more structured in your approach as well. And I think, um, you know, for most, for you know, a lot of farmers, I suppose that that's a little bit of a foreign concept to do that. It's, and, and it's not that, that farmers can't do it. In fact, I think farmers do it exceptionally well. It's just that it's, uh, you know, culturally, it's probably not the way that, that, we, that we have always. So was that, was that your, basically your, your theme you took to the Nuffield board and said, listen, I want to go study how collaborative farming works around the world? Pretty much. It's interesting because, uh, you know, I went in there pretty idealistically. I remember going into the, into the interviews and they, they grilled me pretty hard. And uh, I, I found out a couple of years later when I was talking to some of the Nuffield people, they said, actually, when you came in, we thought you were mad. <laughs> um, because... Because no one, it, it was a, a topic that no one had really come to Nuffield with yeah. before, um, especially, no, not, I mean, there, there had been some focus on business structures, but not this whole concept of, of farmers working together to create efficiencies and economies of scale. And, and I think that the, the thing that's quite interesting and something which I'm you know, really quite proud of is that since that time, um, there's been many, many Nuffield scholarships on a similar topic. Yeah. 
uh, as I think it's become certainly much more um, the mainstream, not only here in Australia, but, but in, around the world. I've had mafia scholars from Canada, from the UK, from France, have all turned up on my doorstep. Um, wanting to, to um, pull through our experiences of collaboration. So I think that's probably the, um, whilst I wouldn't say that the amount of people are going into collaboration has, in, has increased exponentially at the rate I thought it might over time, um, certainly it's still a very sexy topic yeah. and one which people are really keen to discuss. I, I think the, 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 the thing that I have found interesting is that everyone wants to discuss it. Everyone wants to talk about it and pry into it, but not necessarily want to take that big step of actually going out and doing it. And it's, it's a very big hurdle. So, and again, I want to, I want to drill down on that because I think that's one of the key, key points of, of why I'm talking to you, actually. But one of the things that I think was really interesting was, you know, when I, when I caught up with you, Ballard, I think you'd almost completed enough field scholarship at that stage. So, so what were the, what were the, basically the, the, the takeaways, as Americans love to say, or the take home messages that, that came out of that out of that scholarship, yeah. You know, because one of the beauties about it, it, it takes you around the world, and you're able to talk to different farmers and things like that, and then you're able to bring all those ideas back home. I, I think the things that came out of it was was one that it completely validated my thoughts around the economics of it. And you know, no matter where you went, everyone just would 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 say or would prove that well, it worked. There's no problem with that. It, it, it works. It is uh, definitely a way to create efficiencies. It's definitely, um, you know, very profitable. But uh, that's on the one side. But on the other side, it, it was, but there, there was really big challenges. And, uh, you know, one question that I asked of every business that I went to, I said, you know, what's, what's the number one, what's the biggest threat to this business going forward? And every business that I spoke to, like every single one of them said emotions. The biggest threat to, to the success of a collaborative business is emotions, emotions and personalities. It doesn't matter how, how profitable you are. It doesn't matter how efficient you are. It doesn't matter uh, how good your structure is. If you can't actually find a way to get over the emotional hurdles, um, if you can't make, uh, uh, make effective decisions without uh, emotions, clouding those decisions, well, then this business is doomed to failure. So I, I guess uh, the, the thing that came out of it most was that uh, if you're going to look to set up a collaborative structure, you have to put some, some systems and structures in place to be able to mitigate emotions, uh, or not just mitigate them, but, but to be, be conscious of them and, and, and find ways to... to uh, involved them in the decision-making process in a productive way. Okay, let's let's work on through that. So you got home, you've done your Nuffield, had a great couple of years, yep. and you're back home now. Bang. Did you just put it on the shelf or or how do we take it and, and let it gather dust? What what made you go, no, that's not what I'm going to do here. I'm actually going to do something. It's interesting because uh, I, in, in many ways, I was, I was like everyone else. You know, I, I went off, I did the scholarship, I came home, found out that it worked, found out what the problems were. And, uh, and the funny thing with Nuffield, you, need, you suddenly get asked to go and speak everywhere and talk about your experiences. And, and uh, I think that I hold the record for doing the most speaking engagements on a topic <laughs> within a two-year period ever in the history of Nuffield. And so I was running around the country, so I talked to everyone about uh, collaboration and, and why it works. And, uh, you, know, uh, uh, at, uh, uh, you know, from, from uh, you know, nas national conferences such as ABEARS to, you know, regional conferences all over the place talking about it. And, uh, and one day I got an email from, uh, uh, from a, a friend of mine, well, kind of an associate in some ways. He's actually a, a local um, finance broker who, who'd been following what I, what my whole Nuffield topic and everything that I've been doing. And, 
and uh, really, really closely and, and really believed in, in, in what I was doing. And, and uh, he sent me this email where he basically said, so what are you doing? I mean, seriously, mate, he says, yeah, you're running around the countryside talking to everyone about collaboration. And he said, uh, if you don't actually get off your butt and do something about this, he says, you've, you've, uh, you know, you've, you've wasted enough of your time, you've disrespected your industry and, you've, and uh, you've completely dishonored your wife and your kids, you've let you travel the world for, for four months while you've been, you know, they've been home working hard and you've been having a great time. So that was probably the moment that made me, uh, uh, you know, sit down and have a good have a good look at it. And so I replied back to him and he said, "Yes, you're right. Um, but if we're going to do it, you're coming with me on the journey." Yep. So uh, we actually joined together with him, and he actually became our first independent chairman of Bullabara. And actually helped us work through the whole process, or we together worked through the whole process of of making it happen. But it's interesting that you know, even though I had all the knowledge, even I needed to have that real wake up call or that real uh, jolt and, and and poker prod in a way to actually you know, get out there and actually um, actually sit down and do it. So, so I suppose this is we we talk should talk about your partner in crime, if I can put it that. Uh, Schaefer, yep. I mean, as I understand it, reading sort of a bit of background, mate, you were best mates for a long time. Why the hell go to business with best mate? I mean, <laughs> didn't you learn anything on Nuffield? <laughs> yeah, well, well, we weren't best mates. We were yeah. good mates, but uh, probably probably worse than that um, is that uh, our wives were best friends. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> well, that's even more, that's even more dangerous. So why, you know, why would you? Um, interestingly, I think how that came together, and and this is, I think it's quite significant. You know, we actually sat down with a, we weren't actually originally talking with Robin and Rebecca. We we're actually we we're talking with another farming couple um, from from prior before Monarchial Scholarship. Actually, and we'd been looking at it for a couple of years with another local farmer, and uh, so when I came back and we started to look at it a little bit more seriously. We sat down with a blank sheet of paper and said, "Okay, if we're going to, you know, design the perfect collaborative farm, what does it look like? And and uh, uh, you know, how big is it? You know, where is it going to be? What are we going to crop? How are we going to do it? What are our roles going to be? And and the like. And and then you start looking at, you know, where are the gaps and what are the things that you need in that business. And one of the things that we realised is that we were actually very much very similar type of personalities. And uh, you know, we both of us were kind of a bit more focused on the big picture and, uh, and probably the business side of the business. And uh, one of the, the, the things that we didn't have was uh, was someone who was really strong uh, on the uh, you know, the operation side or, or um, on uh, you know the, the agronomic as well. And so what we kept on saying is that what we need, like we need to actually go and source someone to run this farm for yes. us. So what we need is someone like a Robin Schaefer. Who you know was was uh, you know, I said friend of mine about thirty k's away uh, was uh, one of the pioneers of no till in the northern Mallee, uh, you know involved in in, in Santa and a number of other organisations, um, Spa um, and uh, you know highly respected, highly regarded, and uh, you know and, and Robin had been part of our uh, benchmarking group that we'd had going going for several years. He knew that I was sort of going down this collaborative. Path, didn't really express any interest in it really mm. at all. And uh, anyway, we, we kept on talking about myself and this other local farm, but you know, we need someone like a Robin Schaefer. And we kept beating around the bush for about six months saying, where do we find a Robin Schaefer? You know, how do you find a Robin? It was, it was quite funny yeah, yeah. in hindsight. How do you find a Robin Schaefer? Where do you find a Robin Schaefer? And in the end, I said, you know what, I'm just going to go and speak <laughs> to Robin Schaefer. And uh, I went around to his place after church one Sunday and was sitting there having lunch and I just said, he said, so how, how are you going with the collaborative farm? And I said, well, actually, I want to talk to you about that. 
we want you to come and run it for us. And uh, which was a bit taken aback. Um, but then I guess started looking at it a bit more seriously. And, and then suddenly we had uh, you know, three farming businesses that were then looking at it. And then just there was family circumstances where the initial farmer we were talking with um, had to pull out, just something came up in his life. And so then it, it went back to Robin and ourselves. And, and uh, in the end, we went into Bulabara with just the two of us, thinking that in time we'd bring in a third partner, which we've never done. And uh, which is an interesting thing on its own. I don't think we ever would because uh, we believe that the two has worked extremely well. But yeah, it wasn't a, a, a classic way for it to begin. Yeah. But there's a couple of things, themes I'm picking up to start off with. Obviously, okay, the, the business model made sense to start off with. Okay, so we can see that. But more importantly, the people that you started to gather around you were obviously, I think there was, it sounds like there was cultural alignment around. What, what was important to you in, in running a successful business? What, what was required? And, and almost a open-mindedness about, okay, we've got a blank piece of paper. If this is to work, these are the things that we need for it to happen rather than I want to do this. Yeah, and, and I think, uh, you know, one of the things that certainly come through is that, you know, as, as farmers and as something, the way I'd been brought up is that farmers are jack of all trades and master of none. Whereas in, you know, today's farming society, you almost have to be uh, jack of, all trades are master of everything. You know, you, you need to be, you need to have specialists in all aspects of your business. And, and you actually can't be all of those things. You know, there are things that I am really good at, but there are things that I'm not good at. And, and uh, our farm will suffer if I try and do the things that I'm not really good at. You know, one of the good things about the collaborative arrangement we've got is that, uh, you know, Robin and I are very different people. Yep. Uh, you know, he, he, he's, a, he's a morning person, I'm a night person, that's probably, that's probably one thing, but, but uh, you know, he, he just, just lives and breathes for, for, for the soil, you know, he's, he's an, an agronomist, I guess, at heart, he's he out there and he drinks, sleeps it, whereas if you throw uh, numbers and figures at him, his eyes will glaze over and, and, and uh, not that he can't do it, but he, he, he doesn't really care as much. You know, for me, uh, you know, the, the whole idea of determining strategy and big picture and, and uh, you know, even working with financiers and marketers and that's what gets me out of bed in the morning. But then we've got, you know, we have gaps in our business where, where we aren't so strong and so we bring in people. You know, we brought in a farm manager um, 10 years ago now who's just fantastic with HR and OH&S and, and with people which, which, which weren't as, uh, as much Robin and my strengths, but now they're a strength of our business because we have those in place. Um, you know, we employ uh, uh, an agronomist, we employ a grain, uh, engage a grain marketer, um, you know, we, we use specialised business advisors in, the, in, in a number of roles. And, and all of those, you know, we don't see as just people we write a check out to. We see those as, as people who are contributors to our business. We see them as being part of our business. And, and uh, um, you know, we're working together with them to, to grow. And, you know, in, in many ways, it's, 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 it is still it's collaborative, even in that um, whilst they're providing things to us, we believe that we, we do our best to offer as much as we can back to them uh, as well, so that there's mutual benefit. I think that that whole idea of um, you know, the collaboration is, to me, is, is different than cooperation. Um, you know, cooperation is just a hundred people, a heap of people coming together, you know, for, for mutual benefit. Whereas, you know, collaboration, everyone who comes to the table has to bring something of value which benefits everyone else at the table. And I think the thing that, you know, you, 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 again, let's start, look, let's look at the positives. 
one of the things is yeah. that, 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 that scale that it brought to the business allowed you to have those expertise in the business. You, you had economies of scale where you were able to afford to have someone who was really good at, the, at this part of the business. If you don't have that, like in a, in a typical farming operation, the one operation I'm involved in, you're sort of trying to do everything, I wouldn't say half cut, but you know, you, you're sort of, you, you're doing your best you can, but you, you, you're juggling up all these different things and you can't afford to actually have a full investment in that. You know, you've got to keep everything moving along. But while this allows you to really get that focus and, and that synergies, I would have thought. Absolutely. I, I, mean, I think if you, if you go just back to the economics, we were talking before about how you know, machinery is probably our largest cost within our business. You know, when, when uh, I can't remember the exact numbers, but, but before we came together, you know, Robert and I both had uh, secondhand equipment. Look, it was good yeah. equipment, but it was, you know, probably five, five to ten years of age, I suppose, most of it. And, and over the areas that we were cropping, I, th I think that our, our machinery cost per crop hectare was something like that $280, I think mine was, per crop hectare or something. Uh, when we came together with Bullabara, you know, we had well, we had a new cedar, a new sprayer, uh, a new one new tractor, I think it was, at that, at that stage. And, and then most of our equipment was only you know, three or four years of age. And it was you know, technology that we couldn't even afford to even think about affording previously. And our cost per crop hectare within Bullabara was like $220 yep. a hectare. So, you know, it was, it was far less per crop hectare. Uh, and yet we were using newer, far greater technology. So as you say, then that, that suddenly um, it, it eases you up on that department because you, know, you, you have the efficiencies. You, um, so it allows you then to, to, to um, you know, bring in the expertise in other areas, which actually allows your business to be taken to a whole different level. And with that comes, you know, a, um, a, a lot of expectation and, and, and a lot of accountability and, and uh, you know, you are pushed to be more professional in the way you deal with everyone. And, and that's just a great thing. It's, it's scary as hell, but it's uh, but it it uh, it means that your your business at a different level. People treat you in a different way, in a, in yeah, a positive yeah. sense, and and I think that's that's been one of the real big take home. Because I imagine you know for visitors to to work as well, you have to be right on the money with your structure, your human resource management. I would have thought. Oh, ab absolutely, and and, and uh, you know, it's, as I said, it's not just a an ad hoc, you know, approach again. I mean, you know, the way that we do, you know, seeding and harvest even is, uh, is quite structured with, uh, uh, you know, um, predetermined shifts, um, even, um, you know, making allowances for, you know, for people to, you know, have, to have time away. I mean, it's, it's interesting, you know, prior to, to you know, to Bullabara, we were probably, you know, typical farmers, we were, you know, Robin and I were working whatever hours that we needed to to make it happen, you know, within Bullabara, well, Robert and I have allocated four weeks of annual leave. You know, we don't tend to work public holidays. We don't tend to work weekends unless we need to for spraying or the like outside of seeding and harvest. Uh, and even during seeding and harvest, we, we work six days a week. We, we do 24 hours a day, six but, days but a week. You're, you're no longer, as you say, you're no longer, let's call it the boss. You are, this is my job. This is on, this is my specific job and these are my, competencies or the, the, the things yep. that I'm in, in charge of now, would that be for, uh, the right thing? Absolutely. I mean, I mean, interestingly, I mean, I, I actually don't work full time in the business uh, anymore. Uh, and I'm, I'm about probably 60, 70%, uh, I guess. And so my role is, is mainly on the business side, the marketing, the finance, the, um, you know, the, the strategy, a lot of the administration stuff that, that I do. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm actually between seeding and harvest, I'm actually not even involved in the, in the practical 
day-to-day stuff, like out, um, you know, maintaining and and throwing and stuff. That's not my not my key strength. And then when I come in, come into seeding and harvest, I'm just one part of the workforce. Yep. And in fact, I actually sit under our farm manager, even though I'm his boss. Yeah. Makes sense. So he actually, and we're really clear on that. He tells me what to do, and 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 I, I know I, I follow under him. I mean, we still work collaboratively. Yeah, yeah. Don't get me wrong. I mean, we're all, we're all CSLs as equals, but you know, I defer to yeah. him on on because that's, that, that that's his role, and it works really well. And I know where I sit during all those times. I know, uh, you know, and and we also, you know, everyone's looking out for each other to make sure that 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 people are, um, you know, are, are rested enough and 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 also skilled where they need to be. You know, I think uh, when you when you are, have people that are, are focused on HR and OH and S, it's, it's certainly a much um, more pleasant environment uh, in, in which to work and certainly a much more professional one as well. So if it's so good, why don't we all do it, John? Well, I, look, it's, it's interesting because it's, I think uh, in, in the you know, 12 years since Bolivar has been going, you know, we've been approached to help a lot of people or to talk to a lot of people about collaboration. As I mentioned earlier, I've been on the speaking circuit talking, talking collaboration up quite a bit. And we've had a lot of people come to us and say, can you help us set up a collaborative farm? And one of the big learnings, I suppose, for me over that time is I think that I'm, I talk more people out of it than talk yep. into it. Um, because it's, it's actually not for everyone. You know, you actually have, it's, it's about, as we talked earlier, about having, uh, you know, similar similar values um, or al- aligned values, shall I say, and, and uh, you know, having personalities that, that can kind of work together, you know, for, for example. And if you can't organise, if you can't, you know, work through that and work through that early, then it's probably not going to work. And, and also, I think, you know, we we kind of would say that if you're going to go into an arrangement like this, you probably need 18 months of working together or, or, or working through it before you actually do set yourselves up. Uh, and not everyone wants to do that, you know. We're, we're kind of a bit of a, you know, I must do it today society. Yep. Um, and uh, there's, you know, plenty of instances where we've had where you know, I, I had, uh, as an example, there was a, a couple of farming families that, that come to me in August and say, can you help us set up a collaborative farm? We want to have it going by <laughs> harvest. And, uh, you know, and I said, well, uh, um, how about you um, just do harvest together first and just see how you go? And I said, oh, no, we don't want to do that. We just want to get going. We just want to make this thing go. And I said, and I said well, I, I won't be a part of it, as in, like, help you through this unless yep. you uh, leave it until February, March. And just work, work it through for harvest, see how you go. Don't worry about, just come in and just do it together. Don't worry about economics, whatever, because long term, that's not going to matter anyhow. Just come together and do harvest. And um, so they said, okay. So they did. And then I contacted one of them in January and I said, uh, so we, are you ready to take the next steps? And he said, oh. <laughs> nothing like harvest to sort people out, is there? No, nothing like harvest. And I, and I said, well, what happened? He said, oh, seriously. He said, uh, look, we were sharing a, you know, a header during harvest. And like, this guy is just such a mess. Like every time I hop into the header, there was, there was, food all over the floor and cans and whatever. And then, it, you know, we'd sort of said we'd, we'd grease the machine up every morning, but it wouldn't get around to it and it wouldn't happen. The belt that was supposed to be changed. Was it, I could never work with someone yeah. like that. And, you know, and so it's that whole emotion thing again. It's, 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 uh, and, and personalities and aligned values. And, and you can't actually just determine those by even your friendship yeah. with someone. I think, you know, until you actually get a bit more intimately involved with them, you, you can't really fully understand what those what those values are, and 
So, you know, you do need to do some work together, you know, for a start and, and, and spend some time really getting to know each other before you can, you can go down that road. And, and uh, you know, I think that there's, unfortunately, I think the, the, the collaborative, collaborative farming road has been littered with people who have, who have gone in uh, without understanding the emotions and values. Uh, and then it's, uh, you know, there's been so many friendships or businesses that have been destroyed because of it. Then others look at that and say, well, I'd never go down that road. And that's really disappointing because, um, you know, the benefits are, are so huge if you can set the structure up, you know, appropriately. And, and, and on that, I mean, to us, the, the biggest, um, the, the silver bullet in making that work is by having a structure with somebody independent in there. I was going to ask you, I was going to get on that, your, what, your key success factor, and you, and you talk about taking the emotion out of the decision by making certain that maybe bringing an independent person in. Is that correct? Absolutely. And, and yeah. so, we, you know, we did that from day one and, and still have that in place today. And, and uh, you know, we've been going for 12 years and that independent chairman or facilitator in, in our business is, is probably one of, the, one of the most important people and it's probably you know, one of the absolute key success, success factors to our business. Because, you know, Robin and I know each other intimately, like I say, and, and, our, and our wives has, you know, are still best friends, fortunately. Good. Excellent. Uh, <laughs> uh, my wife's at Bex Place right now having coffee. So uh, <laughs> she, does, she does every Wednesday afternoon. So, but, uh, you know, even, even today that, uh, you know, we think we know each other, but uh, when we have that, that independent facilitator doing their role uh, well, you know, we discover that, that we aren't always aligned. Uh, in, in our yep. emotions, and 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 I think it's it's us understanding that, and then being able to work that through, that we make good decisions. And uh, so, so, do you have a do you have a like uh, just is there a three man advisory board, or do you have other people on your advice? Is, is it an advisory board? Sorry, I should ask first. Uh, it's actually a board. Board, so it's a proper board of governance. It's a board of governance, yeah. But yep. the only people that are on it uh, is is Robin and myself. Uh, our independent chairman and our operations manager who who also sits on the board as a non-voting member so he's not a director yep and uh, we, we'd spoken about bringing others into that as well but have chosen not to mainly because in our circumstances it has worked really well yep uh, and I think there is no there is no one rule it's, it's what works for it's what, what works for, for each business but but that has worked really well for us and and uh, you know we we have a an unwritten policy that um, well, we've never had a vote in our 12 years uh, at board level, and we have an unwritten policy that if we have to have a vote, that, that we haven't we haven't been talking long enough. Yeah. Uh, and so it's about you know working out where everyone sits until we you know we can make the right decision. But I mean, it, it's interesting. There's, there's been you know quite a number of times when uh, you know there's been times when Robin and I have walked into a board meeting. With, a, with, with something to put on the table, but uh, you know, you just basically take it to the board to ratify it. And, and there's an mm. example of a few years ago where, where we, uh, we wanted to buy a particular piece of equipment. Uh, we decided, we'd, we had all the quotes, it was ready to go, it was ready to sign off that day, you know, pretty much, but you know, out of courtesy, we took it to the board to, uh, to, to ratify, even though we're the board. You know? <laughs> Yeah. And uh, we uh, walked out of that board meeting with our tails between our legs and, and, and uh, we didn't buy that piece of machinery. And it's because in, in uh, you know, really talking it through properly and, and you know, and, and what, it, what it all meant and, 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 and I guess justifying the decision without emotion in it, yeah. we actually realised it wasn't the right decision for that time. And we ended up buying a similar piece of machinery about 12 months later in a different way. 
and it, and it was a much stronger decision and, and the right decision for the business because we had that process of working through the decision. So what I'm hearing, one of the strength, I think, of what I'm hearing in this is, is a concept of around accountability in that you are accountable not only to what you want to do, but you're accountable to the business per se. Absolutely. I mean, we, we, we probably work as a meritocracy, really. That's, that's probably mm -hmm. how we... So, uh, you know, the, the, the person who has the most... Uh, skill and knowledge in an area probably ultimately has more weight in, in, in those yeah. decisions. And so, so you know, it, it, the way that we tend to operate is, is that around things, especially in regards to, you know, the day-to-day -day operations and agronomy and the, and the like, you know, Robin will, will have uh, you know, far greater weight in those decisions. And, and a lot of those decisions we'll just make. And, you know, and I'm, you know, similar. I mean, you know, if, I, if we finance a piece of machinery, you know, Robin would, doesn't need to know all the details of what that, that, that contract looks like. You know, there'll be a trust there yeah. that, that, that I've, I've negotiated that you know, appropriately. But we have a, a transparency in that, uh, you know, every email that I send, uh, effectively, I'll, I'll copy Robin into yep. it. And, and vice versa and and uh, you know any meeting we have is open to the other always being there so there's always that level of transparency uh, but also you know knowing that there's a high level of trust that, that we actually are looking out for each other and so you know the, the number one thing that we, and, and it's probably a hard thing to do when you've got your own land in it and you're a, you know, a shareholder that you the emotion thing is is that you're always looking to look after your own interests but it's uh probably more challenging to, to um, always be thinking number one about the business. And so, you know, basically the business succeeds, then I succeed. So, so uh, it's being accountable to the business number one, especially when you're sitting there with your director's hat on. Uh, and I think if you can do that without emotion, then, then it tends to work. John, one of the things I'd like to sort of probably explore a bit further with you is this concept around risk management. I imagine it's something because of the structure of the business and the scale of the business and where you farm, uh, it's something that you probably had to spend a lot of time thinking about and, and looking at how we best manage these issues. What, what are the, some of the things that you as an organisation look, looked at with regards to risk management strategies? Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting because, I mean, we are in a, in a marginal area and so, uh, you know, the, the risk does come in. And the, I think the other thing for, for us is that, you know, when you take two farms and put them together, and then you double them again in size, you're actually leveraging that risk. You know, you're, you're leveraging the reward as well, yeah, of course. Yeah. But, um, you know, you have three years like we've just had. Uh, and and uh, the, the issues we've had with, you know, especially the last two years, two of, two of the four worst years in 116 years rainfall-wise, yeah. uh, you know, you really do leverage that risk. And so, look, it, it, you know, the, 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 the ways of, 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 you know, mitigating that for us, is, it is about, you know, obviously efficiencies is, is part of it, you know, economies of scale uh, is another, you know, looking to... Uh, to not drought proof or, or, or you know build production through through rotation as well, looking to minimise environmental risk through the farming practices that, that, that we're using. Because just just on that, John, I'd just like to you know one of the things I've got to say because I still think it's one of the best pictures I've ever seen. It was that that you put up on social media. You had a picture of the farm in I think it was 1982, um, right. which was. A bad drought, and then you had a, a similar rainfall period. Was it 2017, 18? I can't remember. Just, just 2018, yeah. Yeah, and here was a crop. Yeah. You know, to me, it sort of said it all about where technology's gone with with with, with farming agriculture in, in Australia. It's, it's it's a fascinating one, and it's something we we talk about a lot because there's there's two sides to that. 
you know, there, there's absolutely no doubt from an environmental sustainability perspective that we have grown, I'm talking about agriculture in general, we, we have grown to a whole different place. And, and the way we're farming today compared with how we were 10 years ago, let alone 20 years ago, is at a, you know, at a, at a whole different level. And, you know, the photo you're talking about, you know, basically we're talking about a paddock that's completely eroded in, in, in 1982 and, and one that had a, a lupin crop of all things in the <laughs> um, where, the, where, where there was ground cover sown in between a, 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 a barley stubble from the previous year and so uh, you know, the, the, the ground was protected. So that's all, that's all great uh, and, and everyone gives us lots of kicks and, and lots, of, lots of accolades. The, the grim reality of it, though, is that um, from a financial perspective, is that the, the, the person next door or down the road who's got the, er the eroded paddocks financially may not be any worse off than what I am. Yeah. Because there's, there's a significant cost in, in creating that sustainability. Uh, and, and it's something that we probably really has, has been a real struggle. I think it's something that, that agriculture in general, you know, from a national perspective here in Australia, we need, we need to look at and understand. And, and uh, you know, we've been involved in, uh, uh, I guess it's been another passion of mine is looking at risk management uh, from, a, from a, uh, a national perspective and, and, and looking at ways that, you know, farmers can work together to you know, mitigate risk. And, and uh, I was involved in the, in the you know, development of a, of a farmer's mutual in the last few years, looking at, at risk management here in Australia. And, and grassroots farmers working together, uh, looking at you know workers working with insurers um, to mitigate um, mitigate risk. And and you know whilst it hasn't got to where we would like it to, and partly because I think a we we before our time, uh, and it just uh, I think industry and government can't really get their uh, get their head around it yet. But you know the reality is I think that that, that there's obviously with with climate change and with uh, you know, even social license and, and the, the expectations of the wider community, you know, it's, it's expected that we are going to look after our, our, our environment better than what we have in the past. But with that expectation, you know, should there not be, um, you know, some ways that we can, uh, I guess, you know, protect ourselves from those, from those really, you know, you know, really poor seasons. I mean, I think one of the the the, the uh, collateral damage, I suppose, from from the last few droughts, and especially through you know the the, the years in New South Wales, and and uh, you know we've had three shockers even in our area here in South Australia, is that uh, we're actually losing the good farmers. Yeah, and we 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 can't afford to lose the good farmers. If we're actually talking about uh, uh, you know um, capturing carbon in the future and and, and sustainable uh, agriculture and we need the best people there. So if that's the case, I think, you know, we need to look at, be looking at developing, you know, financial products, I'm not talking about subsidies and throwing money willy nilly at, 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 at farmers, um, the way that in some ways we do, even with low interest loans and things like that, which don't actually necessarily change behaviours. Um, they just, you know, sort of support what people are currently doing, but, you know, how do we incentivise and, and support farmers with risk management type products that reward the type of behaviours that we uh, are wanting agriculture to be performing in the future. Yeah, it's interesting. I've been talking to, um, I was speaking to Greening Australia yesterday and also I know with the banks, this whole question around natural capital and how we actually value it so that, that, that there is an intrinsic value for us as farmers to, on behalf 
behalf of society to look after the environment. Um, but at the moment, we're sort of, um, I suppose, as they say, socialising the benefit, but privatising the costs of that. Yeah, and, and look, I, I'm not, not sure what all the answers are, but I think yeah. it's certainly it's something we need to be looking at, you know, from a, from a I think, from a national, uh, you know, perspective. I mean, if we've got a, a, a drought funder sitting there with $100 million a, a year, you know, what is the best way for us to invest that? You know, going forward, I mean, it's, mm. it's it's been a question we've asked about you know, you know the RIC funding loans that are out there. Well, we're we looking at um, just uh, keeping on um, providing low interest loans to people for doing the, the same thing over and over again. And in yeah. fact, there's there's more opportunity to support those who aren't who haven't actually been um, you know building for their future than what there are for those who have actually really pushed their businesses to be environmentally sustainable. Then may not actually be sustainable or from a from a profitability perspective and yeah. yet they're the best they're the best farmers so how what what should that look like um, yeah. you know going forward if we're looking at you know developing you know if we're saying that we uh, you know we won't support things such as multi-peril crop insurance which you know i don't believe works in its current form in australia because it's not actually an australian built product yeah uh, but if we're looking at, you know, providing some sort of assistance to, to make sure that farmers can get through, should they not be incentivised or targeted towards the farmers that are doing the, have the type of behaviours or are doing the, the, the have, have the type of approaches that we as a society and as, a, and as, as an industry uh, want for our industry going forward? Yeah. John, that probably brings me on to the final point that I want to talk to you about and something that I've been both impressed with and amused with is is your social media engagement uh, of, of, of the farming operation. You put a lot of effort into it. And, and I suppose the question I've got to ask is why? Why why bother? Very good question, isn't it? I mean, we, we uh, it started as a, look, it wasn't intentional, uh, really. I mean, I think like like everyone, we had a, we had a Facebook and a social media you know, personal type profile. And I think it was in 2014 that... Uh, this one day I thought, oh, I'll set up a page for Bullabara. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I don't think anyone would be that interested, but I, I, I set it up. And, and uh, it's interesting because uh, uh, it was the beginning of seeding and, and someone's kept posting stuff for seeding. And, and by the end of seeding, we had about seven or 800 followers, which was pretty remarkable in a way. And, uh, but, you know, I guess we, we, Robin and myself, probably especially, you know, we, we've, we don't mind, uh, you know, telling a story, I suppose, and, and, and uh, you know, um, playing up a bit we're a bit, bit creative i suppose in, in, in a way about going doing things and you know we had a few posts on there which you know, involved their dogs and their kids and, 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 things <laughs> and, and they got a bit of attention it was interesting because i was uh, a couple of months later i went to the us and i was over there and i was visiting some people and i was with a, a friend of mine who was in montana who was involved in the montana montana cattlemen's association and he said uh, oh look we're looking to build a, a, a profile for for the montana cattlemen's association uh, and uh, we, we're basing it on the Bullabara page because we think you guys have got it right. And I, I nearly fell off my chair because we were just having a bit of fun. Mm. And he said, he said, well, he said, but the thing that's really quite significant is especially is, he says, the way you sort of tell the story through, through the eyes of your dogs. 
and uh, it's, it's, it's quite a, a unique approach that you uh, you know you can actually get away with you know, do, doing that because it, it makes it really watchable, readable. And he said, keep doing that, and uh, you know, really interested to see where you go with it. Well, probably the interesting thing that came out of that is that. Uh, we didn't so much tell it through the eyes of our dogs, but we probably did, um, you know, my, my daughter, who was about 10 or 12 at the time, she ended up making even YouTube clips with went viral for Boulevard. And so, you know, we did a fair bit of telling the story of, of, of agriculture through the eyes of our kids. And, uh, you know, it sort of, it sort of built from there and, and uh, suddenly we got a bit of a following and, and uh, realised that, you know, people were were really interested in what was actually going on in the farm, both farmers, but also non-farmers as well. And, and uh, what probably made us different is that we're, we're quite transparent. And, and so we like to share when things are going well, but we'll also, we'll also share when things go badly. And so I'll show you a good paddock, and I'll show you a bad paddock as well. Yeah. And, uh, you know, something goes well or something doesn't go well. If I'm having a good day, I'll tell you I'm having a good day. If I'm having a shit day, I'm going to tell you I'm having a shit day. And, and, and I think it was that transparency and that openness that, that sort of started endearing people to what we were doing, and and uh, in some ways we felt like we became a bit of a, a bit of a voice in some ways, and and uh, you know we, we were creating conversations, and I think that's what it's been about. You know, we, we we don't try and be opinionated. We actually don't go out there and try and push a cause so much, but we try and create conversations, and and uh, encourage the asking of questions, and the more that people engage with us, the more that then we'll communicate back. So it's. It's, uh, it's, been, it's been quite an extraordinary journey for us. It made us realise that um, we actually have a brand, whether you try and have a brand or not. You know, everyone, everyone has a brand, whether they realise it or not. And it was probably at the point that we realised that we had a brand that we then tried to nurture that a little bit more, I suppose, and, uh, and leverage that you know, for, for the benefit of, of, of our industry. So, and again, I just, so just on, so John, but as you say, because... The, it does take time, and again, yeah. some some of your posts on must be on LinkedIn. I thought I can't remember. I follow, but you know yeah. they are they are there is a message there. It's just not this is what happens on the farm, good or bad. Yeah. You're also you 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 put a message across. So you are can I put it leading with your chin sometimes with regards to, and I, I think you know again I I feel quite comfortable with it, but I could imagine it, it is it lonely. Do you feel like you you're um, you're just waiting to get whacked on the head. I mean, you know, what 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 <laughs> like out there? There is a bit of that. It's funny. Like sometimes, uh, you know, especially on some of those posts you talk about, where you come up with, you know, if you're talking about big glyphosate or uh, yeah, um, GMOs or you know, even women and ag or, or or something like that. Sometimes I write something and it, and, it, and, it, and it may go viral, and you. And you, you write it, and then you just step back and watch. <laughs> and it just has this bit of a life of its own, and, and people are having all their own conversations around it and within it. And I don't even tend to even go back and re-contribute re towards it. But, you know, part of that's actually about creating a forum so that people can have their own discussions. And the thing I do love about it is, is that, you know, the amount of people that say, uh, thank you for saying what I tried to say or couldn't find the words to say. Yeah, and then it you know gives them a forum where they can comment and say yes, I think this. Well, no, I don't agree with you. And then somebody else would chime in, and then I said this is whole all these other conversations happen, and we just kind of kind of sit back and watch. Yeah, there are times when we get whacked, and 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 that's 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 interesting. And if you if you you know people interpret what you say in many different ways, and and yeah. and, and certainly uh, you know I, only recently I I, I had uh, wrote a wrote a post and and uh, had 
had private message comments from people I didn't know, accusing me of uh, wanting me to take the, take the post down for completely different reasons. It's like yeah. Lee Sales on 7.30 report, you know, saying you should be off there because you're a, you know, you're a Morrison sympathiser and then the next person saying you shouldn't be on there because you're so left-wing, you know? Yeah. And so there's a little bit of that. That, that happened, which is yeah. which is quite amusing, I have to say. But uh, but but you still see it's you 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 see it worth it doing, you know, getting on there and actually having it, you know, getting your point of view across or having a a, a transparency in the farming business for for, for society to see you engaged. Oh, in. I think it's imperative. I I think it's one thing that uh, that ag does really really poorly. I think we we do not engage at all well. We, we uh, you know, I, I think the, the, the point is that, that as ag, we, we tend to have this attitude of uh, we must educate the public. And I don't believe that at all. I think we need to engage with the public. I think we need to be listening to the wider public and, and seeing where they're at. If you're having a conversation, you know, it's as much about listening as, as, as what it is about, you know, re responding with your own views. And um, so, you know, it, it, it like it really frustrates fr frustrated me when when the, the the whole glyphosate thing was going on, especially with the court cases in the US, and and uh, the the immediate reaction from all of our industry leaders, you know, whether they, that be the NFF or you know grain growers or other, I don't mean to, to pick on them, but the immediate reaction was to come out with an education campaign, telling everyone, well, this is why glyphosate's so good rather than turning around and saying, so what is your concern with glyphosate? Let's, let's, mm. let's talk this through. T tell me why you are concerned for your family, for, for, for their health. And, and those concerns, they are legitimate. Yeah, yeah. That, that we, we may argue that they're not based on fact, but those concerns are legitimate. And so we don't win any brownie points at all. We don't get any empathy if we just come out and say, you're wrong. This is the way, this, this, this is actually the way it is. And the reality is, you know, in all these arguments, the, the reality is we probably have much more in common than we have indifference. Oh, absolutely. And if we can work absolutely. on those things, we can, we can, we can, we can work work out a solution on the other stuff. And we and we all want it. We all want to, to have a safe environment. We all, yeah. you know, we, we all care about our families. And mm. and I think you know, for us to all be digging stakes in the sand and saying, uh, you know, this this is where I stand, and all the rest of you are wrong. Mm. You don't get anywhere, you know, like mm. that. But I, mean, I can recall, um, you know, there was a, I did a post on, I can't remember what it was on, and and uh, anyhow, I had, had uh, this this one person who started having to crack at me about animal welfare, even though we don't have any animals, which is ironic. On our farm, other than a sheep dog and a couple of cats and a few chooks. But anyhow, she was accusing me of being a murderer. And uh, so I chose to engage with her. And she was someone who was living in the suburbs in Brisbane. And, and so we had this whole big long thread where she was just having a go at me and farmers and how evil they were. And and uh, and I just kept responding, you know, just by saying, can you tell me what your concerns are? And let's talk about this. And yes, I agree with this and I don't agree with that. And uh, this went on for several days and there was lots of people watching it, obviously. And at the end of, uh, uh, you know, at, at the end of that, you know, I just said, look, we're just going to have to agree to disagree. I'm sorry, you know, but yeah. um, it's been, uh, thanks for commenting. Thanks for responding because, you know, your, your view is just so important. And she got back to me and she said, uh, I still think you're wrong, but I didn't actually realise that, that some, you could actually have a civil conversation with a farmer. So yeah. now I, I actually see farmers in a different light. I thought, oh, okay, well, that's a small win. 
And yeah. But that's the whole, uh, you know, we need to listen, we need to engage, we don't have to agree. Mm. But, you know, I think it's about creating a forum for that. And, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very passionate about the whole advocacy piece. And I, uh, I think, um, you know, it's, it's something that we, we need to, not saying every farmer needs to be involved in it, but we need to have some skills of how we, how we engage and how we talk. John, on that point, I think as much as I like to keep on yakking, you've probably got other things to do. But again, I appreciate your time. It's always interesting. I really enjoy talking about what, what's been happening and uh, hopefully we can do it again not too, in not too distant, to, distant future. So thank you very much. Thanks, Dave. Really enjoyed chatting with you. Thanks for listening to this week's Marcus AgTort podcast. Please, any feedback on the series would be greatly appreciated. You can either leave a message on this site or email me at cornish at marcusoldham.vic.edu.au. Stay tuned to next week's podcast as we continue to explore farm management from an Australian perspective.